Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. This episode you're about to hear is with Mo Brady, who is a very well-rounded guy, a true multi-hyphenate, which is a term I keep running into across this space in the professional Broadway area. He has a podcast called The Ensemblist. He started that podcast while he was in the Broadway space as a professional actor. He's been on Broadway himself. What I really enjoy about his podcast is that he tells the story of the ensemble. He he focuses very much on the ensemble, which I agree is the backbone of the Broadway industry because without an ensemble, you don't have a lot in most cases. It's one of the oldest and most popular podcasts in the theater space for very good reason. I encourage all of you to pause right here, subscribe to The Ensemblist with Mo Brady, and then come back and finish this episode. And before we get into this, as always, please visit me online at ttp.fm and show your support for the podcast at ttp.fm slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. I've been using the proceeds from Patreon to get the episodes transcribed, so thank you all very much for helping out with that. It's helping out with accessibility, which is very important to me. So everybody now please enjoy this episode with Mo Brady. Here you go, one, two, three... guest today is someone that I met in person only earlier this year, but now feel comfortable calling a friend. He's a Broadway actor turned social media expert who made his Broadway debut in The Adams Family and now works as the communications project manager for Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. He's also been on TV in the second season of NBC's Smash and is co-creator and current exclusive host of the extremely popular podcast, The Ensemblist, a theater-focused podcast dedicated to telling the stories of the amazing individuals from Broadway show ensembles. Mo Brady, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Hi, we're here. We're here. We're doing a crossover. We're here. I'm queer. Get used to it. <laughs> I know you through, uh, the, through the podcast world and yeah. Broadway Podcast Network and everything, but... Um, you're my boss. Sort of. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess so. I don't know, but you're like we're How, a, a friends and y- yeah, we text late night and commiserate over... Dad life. Dad life, yes. That, that is mostly <laughs> mostly the things we can't do that other people are doing because of dad life. <laughs> well, we're up at like 11 o'clock, like, why are we up? Why are our kids still up? Yeah. Anyway. Uh, my son woke up at 5 o'clock this morning. He's usually asleep until 7, which is good. Mine too. For a almost four-year-old. But this morning it was 5. My younger one. Well, he woke up itchy. He's got some eczema that we had to put cream on. Oh. Like, Daddy, I itchy. He calls everything a bug bite if it oh, itches. Yeah, sure, sure. But that's not theater related. No. But it's But theater's fun. about life, and theater's life <laughs> is about bug bites. So there we go. As long as it's, yeah, itchy bug bites. Okay. Tell me where you grew up. Uh, I grew up outside of Seattle, Washington. Really? Yeah. Northwest. Okay. That's so, why I have this tattoo of a tree, is because I'm trying too hard to show that I'm a Pacific Northwesterner. I'm pointing to my uh, evergreen tree tattoo that is on my right lower arm. Tri- forearm. Forearm. That's what it's called. <laughs> okay, so so Washington, or outside of Washington, where did the love for theater then come from? The love for theater. I think I've always been into community. Um, my dad was a pastor growing up, and so the idea of people coming together and having a place to sort of belong, I think, was always 
kind of part of how I viewed the world. And I really found my version of that in theater. You know, you have, you, you're all coming together. You're telling to get, you're coming together because you have a common belief. Right. Um, and you feel like you are being vulnerable and you're being seen. I don't, I, those two things sort of grew simultaneously for me. Um, so being a, a pastor's son, did that cause conflict at home? No, no. no. Um, you mean with me being gay? Well, I was going to go there, but Spoiler I, alert, I'm gay. <laughs> I was going to go there, but I meant just originally of, I guess, sort of not, well, I, I don't know you as a religious person, but oh, maybe, I wouldn't consider myself yeah. religious now. Right. That's what I was getting. Yeah. At. Um, but, and that is as much of a piece of contention as it is between a 38 year old adult and his parents who are, were pastors by trade. So, um, but <laughs> one thing I got out of that um, spiritual upbringing was really uh, how wonderful a community can be. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something I really found in the theater. And so when I was a kid, I was just doing like every play I possibly could, was just in love with the experience of being in a cast. Mm -hmm. It really didn't matter to me if I was on stage, if what part I was, if I was backstage. I was sort of doing kind of all over and all sorts of things in the theater because I just wanted to be a part of it. Yeah, it brings it brings a sense of community, like you were saying, in sort of the big shared experience. And some Broadway people I've talked to have even talked about um, when things don't go well, it's kind of the equivalent of going through trauma together. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it brings you, yeah, you're right. It brings you together in a way that you don't get in what we'll call muggle life. Sure. Right? Or even in any other part of adult life. I think that one thing that I hear a lot is that it's hard for adults to make friends. Absolutely. You know, once, you, once you get out of school, it's hard to make friends. And so the fact that we have this community that is a little bit like school in both good ways and bad. <laughs> there's a lot of gossip. <laughs> and there's also a, a desire to help each other feel valued and seen and um, uh, that their passionate creative pursuits are good things in the world and make the world better. I love that. I love that. So is that is that where you... Well, I guess let me back up still. I was going to say, is that where the podcast idea came from? But I'll get to I'll get to the ensemblist. But when I guess where did you go to school? Were you going to school for theater too for in college? Uh, I went to a liberal arts school in Washington State called Whitman College. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a really small. I, when I went there, it was like thirteen hundred students total. Tiny, yeah, yeah, in Walla Walla, Washington. So we were out there <laughs> among the wheat fields. Wasn't there something from Nickelodeon? Why does Walla Walla Washington sound familiar to me? I, there was, it was um, like, referred to in like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. <laughs> um, no, I went to Whitman, which was a liberal arts school. So it was a really kind of a jack of all trades degree. Yeah. My degree is in theater, but I wrote my thesis in guerrilla marketing tactics for the theater. I was just like kind of doing whatever I could there, you know, building sets, working on props, being on stage making the programs, mm -hmm. um, you know, Walla Walla is pretty far away from New York City. And so you really, it's not uh, almost in any way a career-focused program. It's much more about the art form and um, about kind of learning your own craft, I would say, outside of how it would apply to 
professional settings. But that's a liberal arts school in general, right? right. You're not going to liberal arts school for accounting. You're just going for ideas and thinking and communication. <laughs> I guess, yeah. And accounting, they do need an accounting department in liberal arts school. So you can like make general managers out of these people. I think we need to take calculus, pre-calculus, all out of the school systems for high schoolers and replace them with doing your taxes. <laughs> no, yes. no, very few 11th and 12th graders need to know how to do calculus, but we all wish we knew how to do our taxes better. I love that idea. I support that. Hashtag bring back Taxes? Bring back taxes. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a really popular one. <laughs> Hashtag taxes are for high school. Um, all right. So, so gra graduate Walla Walla. Mm -hmm. And then when, when is, what happened then? What happened uh, to get you to New York? Um, my, I graduated a semester early and I was like, I want to get out there in the real world. I was rushing towards adulthood, which now we know is stupid. But at the time, I was like, I don't want to spend any more money. I feel like I've gotten what I want out of this experience. And so my last semester, I was applying for marketing positions at nonprofit theaters all over the country. Mm. And I ended up getting a few offers at like entry level. And I went to the theater in um, Orange County, California. It's called South Coast Repertory. It's a Lort Theater down there. And I worked down there for about a year in the marketing department. And I was like, I hate this. Um, what kind of marketing was it, though? Because social media wasn't a thing then. No, no. Um, it was sort of our our young subscribers programs, writing press releases, working on budgets for our department, that kind of thing. Um but I really just didn't like the Southern California lifestyle. I didn't like being in my car all the time. Um, and I think I was really missing a community. And so pretty quickly I packed up and I moved back to Seattle where I helped run the youth theater program that I had been in when I was a high schooler. Mm -hmm. And so I did that for about three years, um, you know, directing and choreographing and working with kids and teaching and kind of helping to inspire community in them. You know, a youth theater program, those kids love each other. They're obsessed <laughs> with each other. And so to be able to foster that, I thought it was like fantastic. Um, and that, so I was doing that. And then the, the professional theater scene in Seattle is just a different beast than New York. It is the kind it's nonprofit theater mostly. So it's these small contracts and sometimes you can get paid very well, but you're only making, you're doing these little bits and pieces. Um, and so once I was running the youth theater program, I also started just like auditioning for stuff. I was like, I don't know, these people I know from high school are auditioning for stuff. I could audition for stuff too. And slowly but surely over two years, I was getting like a full season of work as an actor. And so I was like, all right, I can need to, jump ship out of this youth theater business and I need to go see what this performing thing is because I don't think I like closed my heart on performing in college. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I was a full-time performer in Seattle, which is such a great thing because there's so few of them. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, I mean, because there's the, the market just doesn't require a lot yeah. of performers. And you don't get that many opportunities throughout the year. There's only a certain number of jobs because people are only casting in Seattle out of Seattle. Um, people are only casting out of Seattle for Seattle. It's not like New York where you're casting for New York, but you're also casting mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. D.C. and Chicago. Blah, blah, blah. So 
being a full-time actor in Seattle actually means that you get to be a director and a choreographer and you get to assist and you're sort of like piecing together a career. And every year I would sort of like take this job and make the puzzle and you'd sort of plan six months out because all of the nonprofit theaters had all their schedules out a year in advance. And then you'd get to $30,000 in income and you'd be like, I did it. I, <laughs> I am living as a full-time theater artist. <laughs> oh, those were the days. Um, and so I did that for a few years. Uh, that And that was really fun. I remember one of my first, my first professional contract was like $200 a week for like three or four weeks. And I said, this is it. Doing I, can, it. I can survive on this. Yeah. And I was nowhere close to living in New York at that point. <laughs> Where was Obviously, this? Obviously, this was regional in North Carolina. Ah, okay. Yeah. 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 So it was... Actually, well, North Carolina Theater, actually, where Casey Nicola gave mm -hmm. me my first professional job. Right. Um, he was down there as Casey and Casey, him and Casey Hutchins. Then you come to New York. Kind of. I, I was doing a lot of shows at the Fifth Avenue Theater, which is like um, kind of a, like a regional tryout house. They produce there, but they also present. So like right now, Mrs. Doubtfire is doing their world premiere mm -hmm. and then it'll come in into the Sondheim. Lots of musicals, Hairspray, Shrek. Um, I worked on the team for Memphis there. I was Christopher Ashley, the director's assistant mm -hmm. in Memphis, on Memphis. And I was also in Catch Me If You Can before it got to Broadway. Hmm. And so I was starting to work with this New York talent and making connections. And so I was like, I feel like I can do this. Like I, I, if, if I'm doing this with the New York people in Seattle, I could probably do it with the New York people in New York. And so that's when I eventually took the leap. All right. So you said you moved to New York in 2010 and then Adam's family was also in 2010. It opened in 2010. I booked it in 2010. Um, I had been here for all of six and a half weeks before I booked my Broadway debut. So you were like, I'm here and life is easy. I can get shows. I walked in with a couple of great things in my pocket. Um, one was those connections with people like Sergio Trujillo, who mm -hmm. choreographed Adam's family. Um, and part of it was I was just like in the zone. Like I walked in and was at the top of my game. I was really training very hard before I came. And when you're new, you're sort of fresh blood to casting. And and so they're also like, okay, we've seen all these other people before. Who are you? And so I was getting a lot of appointments when mm -hmm. I moved. Um, and so things were really rolling at that time. Um, and so, yeah, it was basically just being, I mean, it's always being in the right place in the right time, but it was serendipitous. I mean, I was, this is the end of 2010. I was going in for the original company of Book of Mormon and Adam's family simultaneously. And I only got Adam's family because the guy who I replaced booked the original company of Book of Mormon. <laughs> so like it's all puzzle pieces, you know, and right. there's really was only one track in Adam's family for me. It was, you know, either the boyfriend or covering the boyfriend, which is what I did, but there weren't, you know, that wasn't a big ensemble. There were 10 of us on mm -hmm. stage. And so basically it just was like a waiting game and I just lucked out and didn't have to wait very long. Right. So that was, that was 20, 2010. And how long were you in the show then? All of 2011, New Year's okay. Day to New Year's Eve. Oh. I had my first rehearsal at noon on New Year's Day, 
2010. Let me tell you, there are no <laughs> rehearsal studios open on New Year's Day, but it was me and two other actors who were going in at the same time. We were called at noon on New Year's Day. And then the show closed at a matinee on New Year's Eve. Wow. Yeah. And after that, I mean, were you doing survival? Well, you in the show, you didn't need a survival job, but then what was after that? Um, I was going back to auditions. You know, I had booked yeah. something. I did a, um, a regional production of Next to Normal that spring, but I had three months in the city in between Adam's family and that where I was like, you know, going to auditions and taking classes, but I was like, I'm kind of bored and I really don't want to memorize any more monologues. <laughs> um, and so I had thought back to my Adam's family experience and remembered all the times I had volunteered for Broadway Cares. I, you know, worked at the table at Flea Market and formed at Broadway Bears and was, you know, collecting during the audience appeal seasons. And I was like, oh, I've got this marketing experience in my back pocket. I wonder if I could reach out to somebody in their marketing department and be like, mm -hmm. hey, can I come volunteer? So I send a cold email to the man who is now my boss and has been my boss for eight years. And I was like, hey, can I come volunteer for you? And he was like, yeah, come right now. And like, like, I was like, can I come volunteer for you later? Like, And he's like, come now. Like an hour from yeah. now. So I went the next day and I met him. And then I ended up being there and I was writing press releases. And um, the one of the last things I did was work on video, worked mm -hmm. on a Broadway Bears launch video. And then I went and I did Next to Normal. And while I was doing Next to Normal, they reached out and they said, we've got this job for a video editor. We'd love for you to apply. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm an actor. Actors <laughs> don't take desk jobs. Uh, but the more I thought about it, the more I was like, this is an opportunity and I can always leave if I don't like it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I applied and went through the process and ended up getting offered the position. And while the position has changed a lot in the almost eight years I've been there, I've been Happy at Broadway Cares since 2012. So did you stop performing or auditioning at that point? Or were you I was auditioning simultaneously for about a year or two. And so I did the second season of Smash while working at Broadway Cares. Hmm. I would go into the Broadway Cares office at 8 a.m. I'd be there until like noon. And then I would take the 7 to Long Island City, walk across the Pulaski Bridge, and I would be on set until like midnight. And Ooh, that's a schedule. And, and being on set is such a wild world when you're at the bottom of the call sheet. Like you are just there. There are so many people there doing so much more important work than you that you're really <laughs> at the beck and call of what they need. Exactly. And so you really got to go with the flow. And it was very hard to balance my full-time desk job where I had responsibilities and I was, people looked to me for things and then going to this freeform job where I was at the bottom of the totem pole and they're, I'm, they're like, we don't know if we need you for another take. But you want to be there for another take because you want to be in the shot. Like the whole thing is like to be in the TV show. And so you want to be available for it. So I did the second season of Smash while working at Probably Cares. But the thing that I realized was I stopped training. And I wasn't doing my best work. Mm -hmm. you know, I, over the years, I went in for Book of Mormon, I think like seven times over three or four years. And at the end, I was like, I'm not doing this as well as I used to. And I don't, I don't, I don't need to waste their time. I don't want to waste my time. I'm like, if I ever want to come back to this and I can get my chops back up, mm -hmm. but because I wasn't training, I wasn't giving them my best self. And I was like, well, there's too many good people here. So do you still consider yourself an actor? No, no, I really don't. Um, do you remember when you made that decision? I remember when I let go of my agents, that felt like a decision. Um, and 
I always felt like a person who did more than one thing. Mm -hmm. Even, like I said, even in Seattle, we were directing and choreographing and teaching and all those things. And I really didn't love being an actor in New York. I loved being an actor in Seattle because it was so varied and you got to do so many things. And I didn't really love being an actor in New York because it is, I mean, people talk about boxes and being put in boxes, but there's so many talented people here and everyone does stuff really well. And so you, I wasn't getting the same opportunities to try different things as I was here. I wasn't getting the same opportunities to try things here like I was in Seattle. Right. And so I felt it wasn't as fulfilling. And I was like, well, I don't really like this. So it was easier to let go. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now, you know, the, at the beginning of my Broadway Cares experience, I would stand in the back of the house before an audience appeal, and I would watch people who I'd performed with being on stage. And mm -hmm. I'd go, ah, they're doing the thing, and I'm not doing the thing anymore. And that was hard at first. But now, millions of years later... I look back at those people who I performed with and very few are still part of the theater community in the way that I get to be, mm -hmm. both with my ensemblist hat and my Broadway Cares hat. And so I really found a way to be part of this community that transcends contracts. Yeah, it's a, it's a constant where you get to keep yourself involved and still elevate the voices of everyone else. Yeah, it's a creative pursuit in the theater community that doesn't end when a producer announces closing. Yes. Yeah, it actually gives you more to talk about sure. when, when the closing happens. Sure. Well, I can say, like, bummer, Beetlejuice. Like, yeah. man, that really blows. Sorry, go get another job. Like, that's the business. And I can, I still get to be here to talk about how great Jagged Little Pill was or... In six months, I'll turn around and I'll be able to talk about the great Music Man Ensemble. Mm -hmm. You know, like all of those people do deserve to be championed. And so to have this point of view and place where we can be doing it, I think is really creatively fulfilling in a different way than performing, but not unlike it. So, okay. So you're, you're fulfilled in Broadway Cares, like we probably say, you're doing all that. Um, but then where did the ensemblist come from? Where did that idea come from? The ensemblist actually came from when I was in Adam's family. Uh, I had been in the show for about six months and I was kind of bored. You know, you can only go in for certain things when you're in a Broadway show. There's only, you know, you're not going in for regional gigs. You're just in your Broadway show when you, maybe you're going in for other Broadway shows or film TV, but there's mm -hmm. not a ton to do. And you've done your understudy rehearsals. You've gone on and you're like, okay, well, I guess we're just chilling in this 25 hour work week. Um, and so I was like, I got to do something else. Some spark myself in a different way. Um, and I was a big NPR nerd when I was, you know, living in Seattle. I got, you know, the crunchy granola tree tattoo. So I'm <laughs> working, working that Pacific Northwest real hard. Um, 
And I was like, I love these people that I'm performing with. And I think they're so interesting. This is before Instagram. This is really before people knew who Broadway Ensemble members were. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want to share the stories of these really talented people that I'm working with. And I want to do it in a way that is creatively challenging and interesting to me. So based on that NPR nerddom, I was like, oh, I'll just start a podcast. And that was really the idea for it. And like everybody's theater podcast, it was terrible at the beginning. <laughs> you know, everyone, I think we all look back and we go, hmm, the audio quality wasn't very good. But the thing is with podcasts, I mean, probably most creative pursuits, you just have to do it and know that it's going to be better. You learn. The, 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 the further you go along. What year was it? Was it in 2011 when you started? Uh, no, it was 2013. 2013, okay. So I was inspired during... Adam's family. I did a few pilot episodes. I didn't like them and I put them on the shelf. And then when I was, had sort of gotten my legs wet at Broadway Cares, legs wet? My sea legs at Broadway Your Cares? Sea leg? yeah. I, had, I, I was comfortable <laughs> there. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm ready to try something. I'm ready to go back to that idea. That's uh, impressive that you actually did some interviews that probably have never seen the light of day. You said you shelved your first couple pilots? Yeah, I just thought they were boring. That's impressive. Because there's a lot of people who just want their ego fed and want to get it out there. Because there's, like you said, there's a lot of really bad audio quality at first. And mm -hmm. the first couple episodes, even of mine at this podcast, they, my interview style got better. And the ability to carry on a conversation and shape it how it, I think is interesting got better. But I still put out all my first stuff that... You know, you go back and listen and mm. not as good. No, no. <laughs> I wasn't as interested in analytics or I, it was really much more about the, I, I, at the time I really remember feeling like, who am I to tell these people's stories? Mm -hmm. You know, I'd had this experience in an ensemble, but only one and I hadn't originated. And so there was a good amount of imposter syndrome of why am I the person to do this? Why ensemble though? I've just always... It's the community idea. I have always been most hype about a group of people working together. I think it was the most fulfilling thing for me as a performer. I think it takes a really strong skill set. I think it's a story that isn't told as often. And so I, sitting sitting in that ensemble, I was like, people know about Carolee Carmelo. Krista Rodriguez is great. They're great. I mean, they're both fantastic artists and humans. But I was in an ensemble with Samantha Sturm and Charlie Sutton and these ensemble performers who have made a career out of not being in the spotlight and who are just as talented at doing different things. And that really felt to me like the story that wasn't being told. For me, swings and understudies... Are, are, I mean, in ensemble too, but the non-principal roles are some of the hardest jobs mm -hmm. oh, sure. on, on the stage. Because when you, at, at a moment's notice, sometimes even mid-show, mm -hmm. have to change tracks or go on when you weren't expecting it. And you have to know uh, nine different tracks for the same show of where you stand and where you sing. And if the, God, like, I, I swung for Forever Plaid once. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that must was, have been really hard vocally. <laughs> oh my God, it was one of the hardest things I ever did. Yeah, sure. Because the harmonies are so close. Mm -hmm. and, and like, I messed up all the time. Mm. Wow. 
you know. That's why you aren't doing it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, but people talk about swing brain and and, they, and certain people feel like they can really do that well. And so, I mean, like anything, like point or belting, it's just a technique. Right. No, um, it's, it's a way of training your brain. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And what I love, part of what I really love about the ensemblist, and you're going, you just hit 200 episodes pretty recently. Yeah. Um, In November. Yeah. Yeah. And so, well, I guess first off, did you, did you see yourself coming this far along and doing 200 episodes? Yes and no. We would do an episode every two weeks when we started. Right. And so to get to 200 would have been eight years at that rate. Now we're doing episodes twice a week. So four times as much content to create. Uh, (laughs) But yes, because we really had a mission to help people's stories be told. I really remember people at the beginning saying, well, how long is this going to last? Because how many people can you interview? I was like, there's a lot. There's a lot of, I mean, just look at the number of theater podcasts we have under the BPN right? head. I mean, we have, what, 30, 30 to 40? 40 now. 40. Like, there's lots of different stories in the theater They're all different. To, to be shared. The way that I'm going to interview Cody Richard is different than the way that you're going to interview Cody Richard. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so there's a... So we all are, have different ways of inspiring conversation out of these people. And then those different podcast episodes will mean different things. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. And it's not like, you know, like you snag someone is like, well, I can't interview them because they've already been interviewed. I mean, your set of questions are going to be totally different than mine. Exactly. And that's that's what we're looking for. I mean, I really, I really love, like, I keep going back to the ensemble aspect of, of your podcast because really nobody else is focusing on that. And and. There is just as much struggle. There's just as much hardship that Ensemble has, if not more so, because I mean, one could argue that they're working harder because their names are not as well known. It's easier to champion the underdogs. Yeah. I mean, theater as itself is an underdog in a way, you know, versus film, TV, mm-hmm. the music industry. But, you know, the Ensemble, it's, it's, it, people love when you champion an underdog. Um, and so, it gives a distinct point of view. And the ensemble also allows us to move beyond the podcast and speak about ensemble experiences in other ways. Um, because you've got a blog and the website and like you, you've, it's more than just audio. We produce original photography, a couple of photo shoots a month right now. Well, who's we? Uh, right now, yeah. it is me and Jackson Klein, who is our associate programs manager. Uh, I don't know. I give everyone very good titles because I'm like, (laughs) sure, have a great title. So um, Jackson basically runs our social media, but he's also just my go-to person because he understands the ensemblist voice so well. He's been with us, what I say, like five, six years. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I wrote something yesterday about Beetlejuice closing and I bounced it off of him because I knew that he would be able to reflect back to me and say, yeah, this is the kind of way that we would talk about Beetlejuice closing, or this is a little too harsh, or you may be offending these other people. I mean, I always like offending people on the internet. I feel like I love getting people riled up. But um, <laughs> They talk about it. Uh, but the Jackson is like the, the mirror that I look to. Um, and he's a Big, big help. Love you, Jackson. Uh, And recently I brought on two other people, Anna, 
who has been producing our photo shoots, mm-hmm. um, and Angela, who is uh, our website editor. And so that's been helping sort of stay in these three zones, the photography, the blog, and the podcast, but having them all be robust because nobody gets paid. It's all volunteer. You know, every photographer who takes pictures for us, everybody who writes something for us, everybody who comes down and sits and, you know, or edits any of those things is all doing it because they want to be part of sharing this story. And that is something I'm insanely grateful for. Well, you're you're an advocate personally as well. I mean, you're just getting into advocacy for so many things. And I mean, one of the recent uh, miniseries that you've done, I, a side note for those listening, like you, on the Ensemblist, you you do series of interviews that are all, all creative miniseries. And there was a vocal health miniseries yeah. that you did recently that I just, I thought was such a brilliant idea. And it was a little bit out of norm. You started with Casey Levy. Right. I say it's out of the norm because she's not ensemble. No. But <laughs> I was, was like, well, <laughs> she was in the ensemble of the Hairspray Tour in <laughs> 2005. But mostly it was because I know Casey because we're both parents in this yeah. in this community and have kids that are similar ages. And so when she was posting on Twitter about um, her her vocal issues in the past, I was like, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. There's fire here, and so I was able to get her in really quickly. And so even though she wasn't an ensemble, then the other three interviews that we did as part of that series were current Broadway ensemble actors. And so it all sort of like speaks to each other. I think it's important when you ask people to come in to be able to speak for their experience and nobody else's mm-hmm. um, because, you know, they don't, they're not in a teaching mode. You don't want somebody sitting across from you in an interview to feel like they have to teach. Right. You want them to feel like they can share their honest experience. Let's have a real conversation. Nah. <laughs> um, and you did a, a recent Smash miniseries. Oh, yeah. We're coming yeah. back to that, actually. Uh, yeah. So Aaron Albano, who is an actor and a friend of mine, uh, we recapped the first five episodes of Smash so far, sort of from the ensemble perspective, talking about great ensemble performances. We do this thing called Albano Fact Check, where I'm, I take a... A, a plot point of the episode. And I'm like, would this really happen? Or how would this be different in real life? Um, and so next week, we're going to record more. Oh, awesome. Yeah, we're coming back. So those will be back in our feed in January. Do you have a favorite episode out of your 200 plus now? Oh, my gosh. No, I do not. I can't even remember all of them. Um, you know what? I think there are a few people that really inspire me in this business. Um and I'm going to go back to Michael Barres and Susan Blackwell. I came into the theater business at just the right time to be hit over the head with title of show. Hmm. And so I really think that they, I mean, that whole, that whole title of show team, Heidi Blickenstaff, who I got to do Adam's Family with, Hunter Bell. I did a show on Disney Cruise Line. I originated a show that was written by Hunter Bell and Jeff Bowen. And so I spent a lot of time in the rehearsal room with them. I love all of their creative energies and I find them so inspiring. And so any chance that I can get to sit down with anyone from the title of show team, I'm like, let's just talk. Just talk at me. (laughs) Um, I recently found Susan Blackwell's podcast, The Spark File. Mm -hmm. And it's fantastic. I mean, she's incredibly inspiring person in terms of finding your own creative voice but also i just love like i'll just listen to it i'm like hour and a half bring it on 
Give me Susan Blackwell in my ears, please. <laughs> yeah, some people can speak speak just their truth and anyone will listen. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, so you are also a dad. I am a dad. And your son is four. He's he, about to be. Yes, yeah. he turns four in January. Oh, goodness. Isn't it such a fun age? It is such a fun <laughs> age. Oh, my gosh. He's such a great guy. Like, it's just so fun to be with him. I think because I am such a planner, you know, like mm. I plan out every moment of my day. Um, and you really can't do that with kids. You have to be like down on the ground with them. Yeah. And I know that when I plan to have time with my son, it's like, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what toys we're going to play with. I don't know what we're going to watch on TV. We're just going to hang and he's going to sort of lead that. And I love that requirement of letting go and not being as much in control. I think that's why I think it's so fun. And they're so cuddly and they smell mm -hmm. so good. Ugh, they're just great. <laughs> uh, did, did you go through the adoption process? We went through surrogacy. Surrogacy? Mm -hmm. uh, our surrogacy journey was about, gosh, I want to say like three and a half years. Wow. Um, mostly fact-finding and money-saving. Mm -hmm. uh, because, I mean, our son was born in early 2016, and at that time, I'm not sure what the cost is now, but at that time, you couldn't really do it for less than $100,000. Um, and so we started finding out about it in 2012 and then really started saving money. Um, and then... Was it because you, you wanted to use somebody you didn't know, like through a surrogacy program? Or like, what if, um, you know, I just went to somebody, like a friend of mine, I was like, hey, will you foster or surrogate? Surrogate? Uh, will you, will you carry? Carry, carry my baby. Uh, I mean, people do that. It's it's a heavy lift, and I think that my experience watching other people who've gone through surrogacy, when it comes to brass tacks, you really don't actually know that many people who would carry a child for you, or want to ask that many people who you know <laughs> to carry a child for you. Like it's, and, and actually that distance and using an agency, mm -hmm. which is how we found our surrogate. And that's where we did all of the the financial contracts and all of that went through the agency. It allows you to have an emotional connection with your surrogate and not have to worry about money or any mm. of the sort of legal bits. Somebody else is taking care of that. And you can really have this emotional experience with your surrogate and not be thinking, oh, I don't want to ask her if the check went through or any, you know, I don't yeah. want to see what her, I don't want to ask her what her insurance is and if she applied for Obamacare or if she didn't, you know, someone else is taking care of all of that. Are you prepared to have the conversation or have you had the conversation with your son of where he's like, do I have a mom or where, uh, well, where he knows he has, he knows he has two dads. Right. Um, and he knows that not everybody has two dads. Sometimes when he says, he talks about his grandma being his mom and that we're like, no, no, she's your grandma and you have a daddy and you have a papa. And he knows who his surrogate is. Like he knows her name and he's met her a handful oh, really? of times or will like, you know, FaceTime. So like there's, an, you know, we don't, it's not, it's not like on some sort of schedule. Mm -hmm. She lives in Las Vegas. And so when we go to Las Vegas, we see her and we see her family. Um, but, uh, it's it's all kind of in the open. I think your question more is about like how does that make sense in his brain? Well, no. I, well, I guess sort of that. But my question was more. Uh, he, he's watching TV shows and he's reading books that have a father and a mother. Yeah. 
I mean, he doesn't have a ton of friends. He's four years old. He doesn't go to school yet. And so like it, it make, you know, he's got these friends that have two dads and these friends that have a, a mom and these mm-hmm. friends that have a mom and a dad. We're not quite there yet. Well, I guess I was asking whether or not it was something that, that you wanted to, or if the mom was still involved in his life and it's, and obviously she is. And is that, was that a choice of yours or was a choice of like a requirement of hers? Like, I'm just curious because I've never known any, I've never talked to anyone about this process. We, uh, our agency, when each of us applied, my husband and I, and then the woman who became our surrogate, we each talked about how much contact we wanted to have with Mm -hmm. the potential other. Well, that is fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I, I, we... Both my husband and I are very strong, I guess, like you said, advocates of sharing our story um, because it isn't a story that a lot of people know about. And I think it's important for people to see others and know that it is something they can do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as much as we can sort of, I mean, not like brag about it, but be like, hey, yeah, we're the, we're gay dads and we did surrogacy and look, here's this cute kid. Mm -hmm. Um, the more that other people will think that they can have this experience as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the, one of my favorite sayings is if you can see it, you can be it. Mm-hmm. And being able to model that publicly and share your story and talk about it, even talk about any of the difficulties. Um, that's why, you know, one of the other podcasts on BPN, Mama's Talking Loud, mm-hmm. where they're getting into the, the details of like the troubles of being a mom with a Broadway schedule or, you know, their first episode with Laura Benanti got into like, depression and miscarriages and postpartum and all this and it was heavy and but it's real stuff yeah the more we can people need to talk about the more we can talk about and normalize things like miscarriages or i mean that's not the same thing but these things that people may feel like are taboo Mm -hmm. you know or you know gender identity diversity in the theater these are all conversations that are hard to have but the more we have them the less hard they will be yeah i agree well thank you for all the work that you are doing in that in that field oh. and everybody else I'm sure listening or thanks you as well for everything you've done. Everyone. Everyone. All right. So the three standard questions that I ask everyone oh, to yes. wrap up I, my episodes. I'm aware. <laughs> First one, uh, it seems like, you know, you know, your answers ahead. What I, motivates you? Hustlers. Hustlers. The movie. <laughs> I haven't seen it because I'm a dad <laughs> and I don't see movies. <laughs> um, but, uh, I'm really inspired by the other people in this community that just work their tails off and create things. Um, I, I think it's so exciting to be in a time where we, you can share things that you do and you really don't have um, any barrier between yourself and a potential audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm just always inspired by people who are just like, doing the thing, whatever that means to them, whether it be a podcast or creating photography or writing scripts or putting on concerts. I just, people that are trying to grow and aren't afraid to make mistakes. That's what inspires me. And what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? Calm down. No. um, That's pretty good though. Yeah, it is. Calm down. But I, I think what I honestly would say is don't don't stifle your dreams you know when I was in high school I really told myself that I would never be on Broadway 
And so I didn't sort of set myself up for that. Um, and I think it, if that's what I really had wanted, which it was, and I had been able to admit that to myself, I think I could have had an easier path or a longer path or a different path there. Um, but I think the reason that I didn't set myself up was because I honestly didn't think I could do it. And so I would go back and I would tell high school me like, no, you just, you can do this. Just try. <laughs> it's okay don't, to, it's okay to fail. Don't be okay. You know, now I love to fail just violently and in public. <laughs> All right. So final question. If you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? What I love about this question is that it's hard for everyone. And then once they decide on it, it's very clear. L listening back to episodes, people are like, I don't know. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And then when I found my answer, I was like, of course it's this answer. And it's Hairspray. I think Hairspray is the perfect musical. I think it is funny. I think it is heartfelt. I think it moves fast. I love the movement. I love that you walk out with a spring in your step and you're like, I made the world is a little bit better because of this. Um, I just think it's, I just think it's a very well-made show. And so I, Hairspray is my answer. Good. And where can we find you online? Uh, you can find The Ensemblist um, on Instagram and Twitter uh, at The Ensemblist. We are um, in your podcast feed at The Ensemblist. We are on the internet at theensemblist.com. Um, and if you're interested in surrogacy or parenthood, I do have, our family does have an Instagram account. We sort of become influencers. It's very weird. <laughs> it's very weird. Um, but the handle is Daddy Papa and Me Make Three, and we're on Instagram there. That's so, cute. That's me. That's cute. All right, you can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. Support the podcast via thetheaterpodcast.com/slash/patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can get me on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Please leave a rating, leave a review, share with a friend. Do it. Do those Just things. Turn Do to your friends. Things. Turn to the person next to you right now and be like, "Yo, I'm listening to this podcast. It's great. Here it is." No, don't don't even say that. Just go to the person next to you. Take their phone. <laughs> And download the theater podcast. It's the only way to do it. When people are asking, when people actually ask me, "Hey, what, how do I find podcasts?" I literally, I say, I say, "Give me your phone," and I subscribe them to oh, my yeah, podcast. Exactly. That's exactly what I do too. <laughs> Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music, and Mo Brady, of course. Big thanks to you for being here. This has been incredible. Thanks for asking me. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot -E 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 org because only together we rise.